2: how you doing internet it is a day of the week and we haven't decided which day it is yet and that's okay
0: it's because we're you drunk! Are listening! <laughs>
2: It's 2017. Everything's upside down. I don't know what's going on. But hey, you're listening to Waypoint Radio. That's very exciting. I'm Danielle Riendo. I am, I'm going to be your host today. Austin is doing a thing, an important thing. Again, depending on what day this actually goes up, it's going to be a different thing. So, joining me are Patrick Klepek. I'm drunk! <laughs> Patrick Drunk Klepek. What are you drunk on?
0: I'm drunk on this coffee.
2: Oh, good, good. That's that's a good thing to be drunk on, and also uh, probably not drunk on coffee yet, but maybe getting <laughs> probably, there is so, Rob Zachney. probably
0: something else actually. If you went oh. the timeline of this show,
2: <laughs> yeah. Considering, well, we've got Rob Zachney with us too. How you doing, Rob?
1: Wait, I, I thought this was the Mitchell Trubisky hour. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you don't you know, what? I, know uh, I know who that is. I know who that is.
0: I that pylon is gonna. I've had nightmares about it, Rob had nightmares about that pylon. Let him throw yeah, the ball. What? Let him Tariq Cohen has had 8 touches in 2 games. What's going on? Daryl Loggins, whatever that Dowell Loggins, I'm not going to pronounce your name correctly cuz you don't deserve it. You're not a coordinator. Get out of town. God
2: damn. Uh Mitch Trubisky is a football player for the Chicago Bears. Accurate. He's like Allegedly. 21 oh, and his nickname it's... is Mr. Biscuit.
0: Correct. Correct. that's
2: all i know about him but i knew that he also I has some mr biscuit
0: really interesting tweets just go just search Mitchell. they're Trubisky, real good Mitchell Trubisky tweets he, <laughs> he he when he was drafted he really got the most out of high school football I, oh. you would think at this point that uh they'd be prepping these players with you know folks that know they're gonna go in like early rounds of the draft like hey have someone comb through your social media feed and like find. Now, his tweets weren't like secretly he's a racist. They were just like dumb shit that high schoolers say. And he was a fan yeah. of the Green Bay Packers, which is very funny. Look, by the
1: standards of 2017, <laughs> oh, he's a... his yeah. tweets were adorable. They
0: were. They were. 100%. Uh,
2: I'm glad. Anyway. I'm glad that he's living his best life. I mean, that's, you know, that's. Well, good. he's on the Bears. So as much I'm, as I'm, anyone I'm, can yeah, when you're head coach, yeah, is John Fox. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah uh okay all right so that felt like an hour that's fair so that I feel like that was the Mitchell Trubisky we did it
2: we did the peace (laughs) I'm so proud well in honor of of Mr. Biscuit uh we're doing a full question bucket episode where we're gonna do some old question bucket and some new question bucket and I think in honor of Mr. Biscuit we should why don't we start with his number what's his number do you know?
0: That's a great question. I don't know his number. <laughs> I mean, Jake Cutler was six, but I don't think it's Yeah, six... let's do six. Yeah, let's do six. Like, that's the one that... that actually matters.
2: That's exciting because that was my lacrosse number in college.
0: Th- that's okay. not exciting. It's not a man you want to be associated with, but, you know. Oh,
2: well, I... okay. It... I'll just read the question then. Jake Cutler
0: is... did nothing wrong. Wow. Well... <laughs> oh, no. Well... All right, oh, no. So let's just keep moving.
2: Okay. Vaccines uh, question... are good, kids. Yeah. <laughs> This question comes from Naveen in Toronto. <clears throat> Naveen writes, Your recent discussion about Red Dead Redemption Undead Nightmare.
1: Yep, definitely a re- recent discussion.
2: It's <laughs> got me thinking about DLC as an excuse to revisit old games. With the recent trend of old PC games getting new levels and missions many years after the fact, see Quake and Duke Nukem 3D, it seems like the time is ripe for older console games to get fresh DLC that mixes classic gameplay with the lessons of modern game design. I mean, how cool would it be to get a new set of missions for Battlefield Bag Company or a uh, standalone story set in the Bully universe? Anyway, aside, uh, setting aside business deals, licensing, and any other red tape, uh, what games from the last gen would you like to see the DLC treatment, and what would that DLC be?
0: I always have trouble with these questions where i got to come up with something. Let, let me just bullshit, riff, and comment instead of actually having a genuinely good idea.
1: Mm. <laughs> Okay, so uh, one thing that's going on right now, like, some people are trying to do this right now. Like, Creative Assembly, uh, who make the Total War series, literally just came out with a new, like, DLC campaign Ooh. for uh, Total War Rome 2, which I think is, like, three or four years old uh, at this point. Like, it's it's pretty old, at, like, right now. And yet, they're still, like, cr- coming out with pretty significant new patches and new expansions. And it's
0: not a game that was pitched as, like, games as a service, you know, like, which is, no. you know, the, yeah. you know the, the really trendy thing now.
1: Yeah, and, and so I think it is it is interesting that I think in some ways this this model is shifting. The, the question really comes down to is a game popular enough that it somehow can be turned into a service retroactively, right? Like, does it have a wide enough, uh, I guess, you know, what we used to call like install base. Uh, does that? Does it have a wide enough audience that it becomes worth it to support in that way? Apparently, Rome 2, uh, you know, has sort of hit that critical mass. And so they're continuing to create new content for it. I'm not sure how many games uh, can, can pull that off, but it's definitely something that, you know i I enjoy the idea of uh i think one thing that i'm sort of keen to dig into on um so i've been playing like like we talked about the other week i'm playing a lot of like xbox one x uh now and one of the features they really push is that a lot of last gen games or early this gen games have been like uh significantly up or modified to take advantage of the new hardware power the new hardware capabilities um, and one of the games they're sort of using as a showpiece uh, they're really promoting right now is State of Decay. Hmm. And State of Decay, I think, was a fantastic game with a lot of really uh, sort of brilliant ideas and features in it. And now that it's sort of been uh, modernized in some ways, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it like, yeah, I think I would get back into that. And I would definitely be into like there being more... You know, more characters, more story stuff, more locations added to that game just to sort of, uh, you know, expand that world.
2: Yeah. That sounds really rad. Mine would be a really blue sky thing that will never happen, ever. But hey, you know, Naveen is asking us to dare to dream. So I'm going to dare to dream. I would love to have like new new zelda dungeons i would love to have like wind waker a new dungeon or something you know like a two-hour experience something i could actually play in one sitting just go in and it's something wildly creative it's something completely i, I don't know I, i'm not gonna like pull anything out of a hat right now but something really kind of out there and weird and have like oh a new you know a new dungeon experience comes out for five bucks or whatever i i would Zelda's be
1: hitman now <laughs> yeah, exactly. Zelda
2: Hitman. I mean again, I don't think it's ever gonna happen. Obviously Breath of the Wild has DLC and I'm interested in that and I've played, you know, the DLC that's come out already for that, but uh I just miss Wind Waker. When we were talking about like oh last gen, I was like, Yeah, oh, you know what was a great game, Wind Waker. <laughs> uh so that's where my head is at. I like I like the sailing. I like that game a lot. It's a good ass game.
0: Man, just give me it's more bully. Come on. Don't you can't yeah. say you can't say bully without getting me upset. Bully the 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 not even the secret it's just the best Rockstar game and it just upsets me that we didn't get more bully so they would just make an expansion just c- take out take one of the cut levels that wasn't any good and just say here assholes here's some more bully I'd buy it I'd play it
2: <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty cool I never played it and I know I need to ah
0: it's oh uh, I I mean I don't know it's 2017 I like uh I don't know how well that world holds up that is that is pretty creaky. At this point, probably, but, man, it was it was one of those worlds that when you played it, uh, the parts of it that worked, you were just really excited to see what they could have done with another crack at it, and it, it always, it kind of bumps me out they never, never got a chance to do that, or, or decided not to.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's fair, that's very fair. All right, I'm going to read a, uh, a new question. I've got a couple of new questions, and then there's like the old bucket. We're we're getting through both. We're skimming from the top, and we're digging from the bottom.
1: Wait, it sort of sounds to me like you just said there's two buckets now.
2: Uh, Are no, they multiplying? Well, it's kind of like there's a a meta bucket, you know? Yeah. Like a, like you know there there's a multiverse, a multi bucket. So just consider uh, this the many worlds theory of buckets of questions. Okay. Buckets. Okay. And and we're doing okay. We're we're gonna get through it. So, this one just came in, and it's almost kind of more of an observation than a question, but hey, I'm going to read it anyway. Is the trend towards free-to-play games and loot boxes a reflection of the income inequality in real life, i.e. 2% of the players paying for the game, mirroring 2% of people having the most wealth?
0: <laughs> well, in, in that scenario, if, if we were to take that parallel, then somehow the, the 2%, the 1% of the wealthiest are they're really helping us out. They're, like, making it so that we can exist, which doesn't feel like that's actually how the real world yeah. works. It mostly seems like they just want more and want to fuck us as opposed to as opposed to the way, theoretically, a lot of free-to-play games work in which, uh, and you'll talk to free-to-play developers that work on those games in which, you know, uh, there was one that was uh, a developer that worked on uh, the Old Republic, right? That was the MMO that Bauer did, right? Uh, yes uh, i think anyway old he's, republic yes yeah he yes, worked yes. on some multiplayer game uh, some free-to-play games and worked on old republic when they transitioned to uh free-to-play and uh go i don't know exactly who to point you to but uh if you search that it'll probably come up um and like in his tweet storm was like you know if done right uh and there are gonna be some people that don't think you can do this stuff right like that in any form of like microtransactions and loot boxes and free-to-play mechanics are inherently exploitive, and that's, that is a fair position, I think, to take. Um, but that for a bunch of them, uh, uh, you know, th- th- that 2% actually is why the 98% are able to play and enjoy the game. And I think that's – but I don't think that's how real life works.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like – it's almost as if this is a very idealized version of what the, that two percent thinks, <laughs> that what they think of the actual world. Like, oh yes, we, we keep them all afloat. Those parasites. I don't know. It's, no, I think they
0: probably those th- those two percent, the whales, in the free to play games. They spend their money and don't give a shit about everyone else. And that's not to say in, in a yeah. like condescending way. It's that uh, like this this designer that was talking about the mentality of of whales is often it's people with. Large disposable income. The way we buy a coffee and don't think about it is the way they drop $500 on a, some microtransactions um, because that to, to them that is just relative to their own personal wealth. That is like getting a cup of coffee. Spending I li- money. Yeah. I want to live in that world.
2: Yeah, right? That sounds nice. I
0: want to pay $500 for a cup of coffee.
2: I mean, can you imagine how good that coffee is? Oh, uh. <laughs> Maybe I'm talking to the wrong person, though, about good coffee. I don't know. Well, he, gets, he gets
1: drunk on it. Like, That's right. I'm not sure. There's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure there's coffee in his coffee. to be well. like, <laughs> he's just like you know, tipping the Kahlua, like you know, straight over, and just being like, yeah, this counts. It's, Co-
2: coffee. it's close coffee.
0: enough. Coffee-flavored alcohol is still coffee, man.
2: <laughs> it still counts. It still counts. That's fair. All right. Well, uh, Rob, why don't you give me a number? We're gonna dig through the old bucket here. Old bucket number
1: thirty-four.
2: 34? I'm going to be 34 soon, sadly. You know, I'm just going to give you a personal anecdote about the life of Danielle with each Uh one of these numbers, and I bet you're real excited about that. Okay, 34. Oh, we got a long one. This 34 comes from Keith. Uh
0: Okay. Keith, get a copy editor.
2: (laughs) Keith, come on, Keith. All right, Keith writes, Hello, Wayward Gamers. I was curious to know your feelings on the mechanic of permadeath. Not so much as in roguelikes, where you start over, but in games, where the, in games where the game will continue on. I recently played Darkest Dungeon and thought that they handled it in an expert manner. But you can lose characters suddenly to RNGesus. Huh, that's cute. Sorry, I editorialized there. <clears throat> they are easily replaceable. <laughs> and crucially, you can bring up new characters with level 1 missions. So you're never really stuck, just set back. Compare that to XCOM, and I think DD does it better. XCOM has a nail-biting death mechanic, but I feel forced into save-scumming because losing a high-level character is so debilitating in the late game. You may not even realize you're screwed until a few missions later, when your now-depleted force cannot hope to stand up to the constantly escalating alien menace. Fire Emblem strikes me as having a similar problem. The loss of a character is too great, causing the player to scum. Invisible Ink has a different but equally elegant uh, solution that I also like. They give you the opportunity to save the character, either with a multitude of abilities during an Overwatch turn or by rescuing the body and taking it with you. I thought this brilliantly put the player on the edge of their seat without obliterating their process, their progress. rather. When I play XCOM now, I mod it to have the soldiers bleed out instead of Insta-Jib and get it closer to this type of situation. Still dire, but not irretrievable. That solution makes the mission harder due to your carelessness without ruining the campaign, but I could also envision an XCOM where the character progression is much flatter and soldiers more replaceable, closer to the original 90s title. Please persist in producing positively pleasing podcasts. Your humble listener, Keith the Nomad.
0: Rob, you've been playing a lot of XCOM, but I I feel like you probably fall on the side of admiring the hardcore
1: elements of it mm, no no Whoa! Well, so, no. Oh!
0: Mm, M. Night so here's the thing uh
1: this is an extremely <laughs> like this is a extremely double-edged sword uh and hardcore mechanics in particular i think can lend themselves to uh kind of destructive dynamics and the discourse around around a game and the way people end up approaching it uh, i think xcom sort of got like the the whole like cult that grew up around Iron Man mode, uh, I think probably sort of skewed what was good about that game. But so the thing is with with permadeath, there's a really hard decision you got to make at the start of the game because I'm not sure the two ideas are really compatible. Uh, you can either save and reload uh, in, in in the campaign at any time, or you can't ever do that and you just have to play it as it lays. And I think where Xcom ends up running into trouble is that it sort of tries to ride both horses uh, as it were, and it has an Iron Man mode and if you listen to sort of the posturing around the game, uh, is some of which you'll you'll find like you know the designer Jake Solomon even sort of doing right like he sort of presents himself as he was Mr. Hardcore, old-school XCOM, he's making hardcore, uh, you know, old-school old XCOM values for, for the new series. Uh, but at the same time, XCOM doesn't really work unless you save and reload uh, from mm-hmm. time to time, particularly on harder difficulties, because XCOM also has these pretty massive swings uh, where, you know, character is in cover, uh, has a very low chance of getting hit, <laughs> but then and, they do. <laughs> yeah, and and it's critical and they're instantly killed. Right. Oh. Uh and that is a very tough thing to design and balance for, particularly as Keith points out, when you've got a campaign where like the core dynamic is your characters generally survive, become more capable, get more effective and can therefore therefore fulfill harder missions. Or or uh, or like who's...
0: ideally that you're that they're they're getting out injured, they're they're sidelined for a mission or two, but then they come back into the rotation as, like... it's The game doesn't seem necessarily balanced for the idea that you're constantly actually losing guys, more that just, like, you're temporarily losing them, but then when you hit those moments where you actually outright lose them, it feels like an unfair swing, even if the game, by necessity, has to account for scenarios where you're going to actually lose characters. Yeah, exactly. and And so I think...
1: I totally get why Keith sort of has has, has modded XCOM to have a slightly more uh, a longer runway to having characters actually die. I think Invisible Inc probably is uh, one of the like great examples of 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 doing this because Invisible Inc manages to like include all those Iron Man elements and and really be demanding, but I don't think necessarily. Uh, brutalizes you with as much sort of random mischance and misfortune uh, as you encounter with with XCOM, uh, and darkest dungeon is just kind of a tremendous game because like it is so brilliantly. Okay, so the thing that darkest dungeon does is when a character is near death, they still have to take damage, and then every time they take additional damage while they are near death, uh, there the, the game basically rolls a die to see whether or not they finally kick the bucket this time. <laughs> And, those, and, and the odds of that are not great. Chances are that character is going to survive uh, being near death for quite some time. Uh, you'll have some, but what it does is it gives you this feeling of like sustained, like grinding panic uh, that is really pretty clever because like really the odds of any of your soldiers dying in Darkest Dungeon at any given moment are much lower than in XCOM but it always feels way more perilous. Uh, so that's yeah, I, I think there's a lot of ways to handle it. I just I, I think what doesn't work is this idea that you can sort of uh, go in both directions at once, right? Where you mm-hmm. can have a great permadeath system with no saves. And then you can also have a game that you can sort of conveniently save and reload at any time until you get better results. I, I don't I... think those things are...
0: I, w- I wish right, games probably. like I wish that like games like XCOM like built in things like rewind mechanics, not, not something you could infinitely use, but I would probably. So when I when I and I've beaten XCOM and X XCOM two, and I've played a bunch of Fire Emblems, um, I haven't played the XCOM expansion, which I know is a certain, like a more hardcore experience, with a lot more variables that you're dealing with. But like I never like one of the things they did between XCOM and XCOM two was essentially sort of like try and have it both ways, knowing that people were like save scumming makes it sound worse than it is, right? It's really just like. In a like catastrophic scenario, you're moving back a pace uh, to try and account for that. But one yeah. of the things they changed between XCOM and XCOM Two is that they they got rid of a specific exploit, which I actually think is so like. Yeah. So what they did was um, so let's say uh, you're lining up a shot on, uh, uh, and this is like the flip scenario. You're lining up a shot on an, on an alien, and you've got a 98 percent chance of hitting it, and you miss because sometimes that happens. It's frustrating, but it is like it is part of the memification of XCOM, and it's also part of the joy of XCOM. Um, in XCOM 1, if you were to reload a save and take that shot again, it actually re-rolled the percentage of your ability to pull that off. So there was a good like good chance that that 2% miss was not going to come up again because the game was actually recalculating that shot. Whereas in XCOM 2, they lock in the value on your save. So if you are to go back and make the exact same move... The game is going to account for that, and if you do the exact same thing, you're going to get the exact same result. And so when I play XCOM 2 and say, like would reload a save that was maybe a couple of moves back, like it often felt like, even if you didn't know this on the surface because the game wasn't communicating this to you, I felt like I was in a fairer scenario with the game and the game designers because what they were basically saying was like, hey, like make a different tactical decision and see if you get a different outcome, which feels like a fair way of like, kind of dealing with that scenario. And that's how I deal with Fire Emblem. Like, I play Fire Emblem on permadeath, but if I lose a character, I restart the round. And what that means is that it's not that I'm, like, doing this the scenario exactly the same again or going back to, like, one move ago. I have to start the whole round all over again and try and approach it differently to get a different outcome. And so it ends up making those games more like a puzzle or adding some puzzly elements to them. And I've never felt that treating them that way has taken away from my gratification of of playing them. Um, But uh, it's, yeah, certainly a hard design problem to account for, um, for sure.
2: I think you have a better attitude about it than I do, Patrick. I just get mad. I just get very angry. Your ability to look at it like a puzzle uh, is is the exact opposite of me looking at it like, fuck this game, I hate it, and and running away, (laughs) screaming. So (laughs) I I respect that. I, I really respect that. Can't do it, but I respect the hell out of it. <laughs> uh,
1: can't do it. Danielle, your reaction to frustration with games does seem to be actually, no, screw you. I'm going to finish you no matter what it costs me.
2: Yeah, that happens sometimes too, actually. Uh yep. <laughs> Depending on the game, there might be uh you know, there might be a different type of emotional reaction. That's fair. Uh all right. Let's go to the new question bucket again. Or, or, sorry, the new portion of the metaverse of the question... Whatever the fuck mm, is that Maybe you your hand there. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I've got two documents open here, but they're both Waypoint Radio documents, so it's fair. All right, all right. I got a good one. Got a good one here. Hi, gang. Toward the end of Danielle's love letter to Diddy Kong Racing, how did I never play that? I blame no mercy. There was a mention of a DS port. It got me thinking, are there any DS slash PSP games that rank as hidden gems worth tracking down? Are there ports that hold up and might be the best way to experience classics? As the owner of a dusty 3DS and a dustier Vita, there could be uh, this could be a decent way to lower those dinos into the ground, most likely with a chiptune cover of chops playing in the background. Anyway, recommend recommendations heartily welcomed. Thanks. Whoa, oh, I will tell you this. I sure love the hell out of Meteos and honey God, I think it's called honeycomb beat. Let me make sure. It's hmm? Honeycomb Beat.
0: I've not even heard of that game.
2: It's a really obscure Honeycomb Groove? Hmm. Honeycomb DS. Let's see. There's. A... It is Honeycomb Beat. Okay. Honeycomb Beat honeycomb... is a really, really good original DS puzzle game. Uh, it's a Hudson soft. soft game, and I, I'm seeing some poor reviews for it, and I think those people are banana pants, because it was a really good Wow, hey, hey, that's, you know,
0: you know, we're supposed to be respectful of other people and their opinions, calling them banana pants, uh, Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't feel very waypoint. I know Austin's not here.
2: <laughs> See, Austin's not here. I can say banana pants all I want.
0: Damn, savage.
2: I know, right? Well... You're drinking your Kahlua coffee, so you know, we're <laughs> well, all. <laughs> I think
0: maybe you are. Maybe you are. You're the one saying banana pants.
2: You're right. Actually, uh, yeah, I think. Uh, my How does this honeycomb tipped.
0: game work? I'm not. I'm watching a video and I still don't quite get it.
2: Well, uh, basically, you are sort of navigating these honeycomb patterns, uh, and you're kind of you're matching. Let's see. I think you're actually trying to create honeycomb patterns within a larger honeycomb thing like you tap on one honeycomb it changes things and you have like modifier tiles it's a little bit hard to explain i oh, would kind of like fl- to you're trying to watching. flip the
0: colors basically like yeah you're using... flipping the
2: colors to make oh, okay. particular patterns yeah exactly
0: that's cool um
2: which is you know
0: kind of feels a little bit like a... it is
2: a little bit it is a little bit actually in the same, i think in the same vein yeah yeah, it is a little bit. Um, I think that is a fantastic game worth tracking down. It's probably not easy to track down, but I. Where's
0: Pacross on Switch? Loved Give it. Give me Pacross on Switch.
2: That has to be coming, right? I
0: mean, there is a Pacross Switch game, but it's not Nintendo's uh, Pacross oh, yeah, game. Yeah. I specifically, they... like, I've tried to play flat, normal Pacross games, and they just pale in comparison to the uh, 3D shape based Pacross games that Nintendo has done over the DS line. And, ah! Oh, yeah. They would just port one of those to Switch. I would be psyched.
2: Those, it's got to be coming. It's got to be. They're putting everything on the Switch, sort of. I, I I have, I have faith in that. Um, The other thing I was going to say is Meteos, a game I like hundred percented. Once upon a time, on it did have it
0: did have an adventure mode, didn't it? It, In addition to a dual mode, that game uh, did. Gosh, probably more than any puzzle game I can even think since that rode that really tough line of chaos and skill. Where yes. especially when you would play um, uh, versus games uh, against people, like it, you could never get a quite a grasp on whether you were winning or losing, and things would switch on a dime in a way that it was just like you. When you were holding the DS, you felt like you were holding on for dear life as you were trying to survive everything that was happening, and it just made. Every yeah. round of Meteos, like, just tremendously satisfying and also surprising. Because it, it never felt like you knew what was going to happen the, the moment it opened.
2: Yeah. It, it was, oh my god, that was like my bedtime game for a long time. I, lo- I like playing puzzle games in bed. It's a, a thing that I do. And it was like, I would put it on the more chill planets. Um, th- th- each planet in Meteos, whatever, each stage, each level, has a different sort of gravity which was always kind of cool and also sort of a different uh you know musical cue and there were some like chill planets that had slower gravity I would put it on those I would play those and I would just oh my god it was wonderful that game is fantastic and worth uh worth tracking down those are those are probably my picks for uh I know people like luminez I just I didn't have a Vita at the time PSP, or a PSP sorry a PSP at the time excuse wow. me pardon me you are pardon no my longer, PSP. You are,
0: pardon your gamer
2: Pardon my unwokeness here uh, with the platform, but... Did you play a lot of that, Patrick or Rob? Oh, yeah.
0: I, I mean, I, I, uh, I imported a PSP because I was, like, I saw Ridge Racer on that thing. It was just like, holy shit, I'm in. And there weren't many games at the launch. You know, Ridge Racer was a really great game, and uh, Luminous was either at launch or very soon after, and... Uh, I, yeah, I became obsessed. Uh, alongside my, uh, my girlfriend, became obsessed with uh, uh, Luminous and um, we would just kind of swap the machine back and forth. And uh, that became it was one of the few times that I got into a high score game. Like, it was not mm. usually not usually my my thing, but uh, it was one of those moments where because I had someone like in close proximity, like all the time, that was really into it, we would constantly kind of find ourselves in uh, luminous matches. And yeah, that's a a tremendous game that I think kind of got squeezed uh in like the billion ports that, that came later, but the, the base idea of Luminous was uh a really great puzzle game that, that probably still yeah, put that game on Switch. I play it's been long enough. I'll play that game yeah, again. Yeah.
2: Yeah there you go. Put it on Switch. That's the answer to, to most things I think.
0: Hashtag yeah. put it on Switch.
2: <laughs> Rob do you have any any handheld gems that you've enjoyed quite a bit?
1: Not really like the handhelds were never really my thing, right? Sure. Like yeah. Uh, being on PC, the handhelds always, like, were just... They felt wrongly to me, I think, a little too limited. Uh, I realize now what a fool I was uh, <laughs> to, to sleep on the on, on the DS, but, but there you have it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think as far as backwards compatibility and everything, like, that's the other thing, is, like, if you're native to PC, like, a lot of this stuff just still exists, and so there's not as much pressure or desire for, like oh, I sure want that to come out on this platform. The exception being, I'm kind of into the idea of more things coming out on Switch. Like, the yeah. minute that Darkest Dungeon port hits, <laughs> buy PC Darkest Dungeon, because that's a game that sort of lends itself to just sort of like twiddling with.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I have to say, as somebody who is actually having a little bit of trouble with her launch 3DS, in terms of, I have a wrist injury, and it's, it hurts a little bit to play my 3DS for too long, I sure appreciate the Switch for being a little bit more ergonomically... Correct and also, yep, it sure is uh, great for games that are fiddly. <laughs> it works pretty fucking well. Hey,
0: don't Let- do what I did and lose the kickstand on the back of that thing. Oh. I I put it up. Like uh, I don't like the angle that the switch goes at on a kickstand. Generally yeah. speaking, like I I've, I've tried to do the thing where I take off the Joy Cons on a flight and like, stand it up, and... Yeah. I just, I just don't... I, I need... I actually want it to be at, like, a steeper angle than it's actually capable of doing with the, the built-in kickstand, but I was giving it a shot when I was on a flight a couple of weeks back, and, uh, it, like I said, I was bending it, like, it doesn't stay in very well, and it came mm. off, and it fell down into the uh, black hole that is my bag... My uh, kids' bag, my uh, oh. the, the bags around me. Like I, I mean, it couldn't have gone. It, it did not go far. I knew the general vicinity in which it fell, and it, I searched through. I was like, "Oh, I'll find it when we get off the flight." Look around, could not find that kickstand. And so, oh. if the kickstand falls off, um, and then you hold the the switch again, uh, like your finger. Falls your right hand falls right over where that th- where it was. Like, there's no way to like grip the switch and not feel like uh, a dip in the machine and like the it, it goes from the nice plastic feel to like this the metal this underneath. Uh, it was terrible. So then I had to spend like I couldn't buy one locally, so I had to buy one from Nintendo's website. And it's it's only like four dollars, but it's four dollars <laughs> plus like you know like six dollars. Like the shipping costs more <laughs> oh, than the goddamn kickstand. Uh, so don't lose that, because it's a pain in the ass to hold the machine afterwards, it's a pain in the ass to buy another one, and, uh, that's, that's, that's my rant, I don't have a point, I'm just saying, don't lose, don't lose your kickstand.
2: Don't lose your kickstand, I (laughs) think that's fair, that sounds like losing your- Don't lose it on uh, a
0: bike either, that's bad, like, kickstands are cool. on bikes, don't lose it, I don't know how you lose it, but I'm just saying, general rule, don't lose your kickstand.
2: Yeah, don't lose your kickstand, it sounds like losing your stylus from the DS days, or I mean, we're still in the DS days, but oh my god, that fucking thing, Oh. I've lost so many styluses. I usually find them eventually, but, like, it's that's a problem. Then you just gotta use your fingers for everything. That's just not great. It's not great. Last thing I'll say is Hotel Dusk, a game I still need to play, but I've heard nothing but amazing things about it, and I sure love pulpy detective fiction, so I'm just gonna throw that on there. Hotel Dusk is one that I need to track down myself. Oh, there's so many gems. I'm Really excited about those gems. Uh speaking of gems, Patrick, give me a number. Give me a, give me a nice number. Let's dig let's dig back in to an uh, older uh, older how, bucket.
0: How high how high do our numbers go? What's what's my range? Let's
2: see. We've got uh, I think we've got 50. Yeah, 49 actually as of as of right now. It's
0: 49, like. man. It's just, it's, you've, been, oh. it's, you've you've been left behind. Come back into the oh. fold. Oh,
2: you know what's really great is 49. Has an SF on it like San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, it's real nice. Alright, ready? Hey waypoint team. I'm loving the work you do, especially the podcasts. My political games question is how have you seen games change through the Bush and Obama administrations? Is there any significant change in themes, stories, etc between the two? I would have pitched this as a story, but I am a terrible writer.
0: Welcome to the club, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let that stop you.
2: Don't let it, don't let it crush your dreams. Kenny, you can SF. you
0: can convince everyone? Don't <laughs>
2: worry. Um, I, I, honestly, to answer this question, it's it's a little tough because games as a medium certainly had a lot of maturing to do during those times. Like if we're talking, we're talking Bush and Obama era. We're talking 2000 to last year. So that entire we're talking like Xbox, actually PS2 era all the way up until, you know, 2016. Well, We were all pretty
0: young, too, right? I mean, like, that's, like, one of the the things about, uh, you know, we're all, like, roughly in the same ballpark on age, and, like, it's not that I wasn't aware of, like, the Bush years and, uh, like, vaguely aware of politics, but, like, a lot of us sort of, like, came of age in terms of, like, real political Like paying attention to what's going on, like in the Obama year. So it's like, even, it's hard for me to even think about. One, I think games just weren't very, other than being inherently political, right? Like where like your, like your personal politics informs like what you create. uh, Games just weren't really doing a lot of commenting on the outside world in like a very pointed, purposeful way. Like I think games were a lot more, they were still commenting on the culture, but it was like more through osmosis as opposed to like we're doing this to, to say something um uh that was just far rarer uh back then and i and i just wasn't thinking about games or thinking about politics in that way i don't maybe you two are are different um than the folks that that i know and how how i was but um i just i wasn't even really thinking about games in that way uh during during that era
2: i'm gonna guess that we all had our first voting experience in 2004 Presidential vote is that?
0: Yep.
2: Yeah, Kerry. Yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah, Kerry. I'm pretty sure we all. I'm not going to say who we all voted for, but like that was the election. It was Bush Kerry. Um, So yeah, I I definitely, I I certainly think there is a a jingoism to the early Bush years, especially Uh the the sort of post 9 11 uh, sort of era in which there. The thing that's hard to do is to separate that from the regular sort of jingoism of. Uh, the military shooter in general right that's kind of been a thing in video games since there have been video games right it it has always been made by a particular type of person who may have had a particular type of feeling about conflict and violence and that sort of thing especially Um,
0: especially at the advent of like call of duty right like i mean obviously call of duty has changed a lot in in the the cinematic
2: military shooter i guess is a is a way of putting that Yeah. yeah yeah go ahead sorry
0: no, that's oh, sorry. That's I it. thought that's, you were going to keep going. Okay, so I can really dive ma- in there. Really making me look um, like an asshole. I was like, I was I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> your, say your great point, Patrick. <laughs> I'm sorry. I but I, were... I, I, I'm sure Rob can save me here.
1: Yeah, because uh, actually I was writing a piece about this last night.
0: Or right, think you, sort of, yeah, you're playing the new Call of Duty, right, right, right.
1: Yeah, I am, and and this isn't a huge angle in the piece, so I don't feel too bad talking about it here, but like... <laughs> um so call of duty and the entire like military shooter genre that sort of crops up in the early two thousands is really a reaction to world war ii like nostalgia uh that was really sort of a peak commodity in the late 90s into the early 2000s like saving private ryan kind of like mainstreams this there's a lot of like 50th anniversary nostalgia uh and the call of duty games are explicitly like playing on that and explicitly playing on this idea of, like, very the Stephen Ambrose vision of the, you know, American G.I. liberating Europe. And telling that story again and again, basically recreating scenes from famous, like, TV shows and movies. I think something that changed is that, uh, first of all, the fantasies of warfare changed. Uh, like, with modern warfare you start seeing what well, Modern Warfare was easy to believe at the time had more of a position than it turns out ultimately to have had like it was like there were things that seemed political and critical in that game that I'm not sure were really intended to be that way like the mm-hmm. uh, AC-130 gunship scene where you're like right you know right, blowing right, dudes right, away right. from a FLIR cam um, I
0: mean because that was kind of interpreted at the time as like oh this is like it's commenting on like the uh, the distance we have in Warfare about how we uh, uh, you know, just casually kill people, and like, but I think it was more right. just like, hey, this is a cool scene. <laughs> right, right, and and
1: well, and that's that's an important moment because like it read at the time to a lot of people as being deeply unsettling because our vision of war was still kind of in this nostalgic World War Two vision of like it being personal and dramatic uh, and
2: heroic in a way. I yeah, suppose. yeah,
1: and modern warfare has the scene. That I think was meant to just be like, hey, this is going to be cool. And people don't react to it like it's going to be cool. They react to it like, this seems a little fucked up. Because <laughs> this is representing like, what is going to increasingly become the American way of war through the 2000s and the, the teens. Since then, like, a couple other things happened. Uh, none of our wars fucking ended. <laughs> um <Yep. laughs> like they like the first game about Afghanistan cropped up in like it was what was it, Medal of Honor and it was like oh eight, oh nine.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um and at the time it was like, oh boy, is this is this too soon? Like maybe we should Well War's still going. Uh <sighs> you can still set things in Afghanistan. And what's interesting with the new Call of Duty is that it's about World War Two, but it has this sort of like modern mindset of like these guys seem like they've been at war for fucking ever. Like there, the characters are talking about this as if they've been fighting the Germans uh, for eternity, or they've been in the army for an eternity. Not, you know, the American campaign, the the Allied campaign in Europe after D Day was like less than a year. Like that's how long it took to to wrap things up uh, with with that part of the uh, with that part of the war. But the perspective, that, that sort of shot through the game isn't about World War Two. it's about how we feel about our conflicts now and how we envision, envision like war fighting. Uh, and so I kind of feel like something that changed is the idea of what war looks like, but also what victory and defeat might look like, what you hoped for uh, from war. Early games were about like, you know, you defeat evil and you go home and you resume your lives as citizens. Now it's kind of this, you know, forever war uh, model and the characters no matter what war the game is about, the characters kind of inhabit the space that America psychologically inhabits right now, where nobody ever goes home. You know, the the swords are never beaten into plowshares. It just drags on. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that's it was. I I looked up a piece that we actually published uh, last June by Seth Shepard, who who goes into this. It, the piece is largely about Vanquish, but it sort of starts out with a thesis about the aesthetics of the sort of cinematic modern military shooter and how how it did actually change sort of post nine eleven. So I'm just going to read a little little bit of it. I didn't put a link in the show notes, but this this seemed relevant to this question, so I'll I'll just read this a little bit. Uh, post-9-11, news outlets looped images of the War on Terror in a traumatic environment materialized, in which these accelerating images proliferated across screens, networks, and space. The effect of this war coverage was seen in pop culture with the prominence of impact aesthetics. An intensified style meant to elicit a physical response from the viewer. It existed before the War on Terror, et cetera, et cetera and then I'll go to the next graph here. However, as the war was fought and its imagery normalized, these aesthetics were applied to stories about terror and counter-terror, sleeper cells, and state data collection. In TV series like 24, films like the Bourne series franchise, and Eagle Eye. The style permeated commercial images, even showed up in the fashion world as clothing brands like Tap Out and Affliction became popular for their abrasive and pre-distressed designs. All of these cultural products competed for consumer attention across multiple screens by leveraging these aesthetics as a shorthand to communicate that they were more real or at least more immediate than the others. And these cultural aesthetics imprinted upon the game developer and upon game developer simulations of reality, creating the gritty military shooter. So his his whole thesis is that, yeah, this is part of a larger movement, especially in that sort of general post 9-11 era you know that i guess like later bush era even uh obviously nine eleven was early bush era but as things developed as games you know obviously triple a games take a little while to develop these things sort of permeated so i think there's some value in that as well as of course what you're saying rob about the the sort of forever war mentality that is that is in everything right now that that sort of comments on war in any meaningful way so yeah I'm gonna take another question from the newer bucket, and it might not be quite as heavy as the one that we just uh, did, but there's a story here, and I I do like a good story. So here we go. Actually, this may this is a complete coincidence, but I think this is actually from Seth Shepard, who wrote that piece, and I really didn't mean to do this. But but like, literally, this letter is from Seth Shepard, who wrote that piece for us, and it was just this happened to be what it was. So here's a story from Seth. (laughs) Hey, Waypoint team. Your discussion of Chill Out Man in episode 113 made me remember a favorite streamer of mine that I found with some friends named DJFL3XXO. Have you ever used the PS4's Live from PlayStation app? If not, it's a beautiful app that comes pre-installed on your PS4. It collects all of the live streams that are broadcast with the PS4, and you can search by game. So sometimes college buds and I would pass time with this app in searching for all streams of the game, The Playroom, another pre-installed app that uses the camera and makes augmented reality games of the player's space. This is essentially the Twitch IRL section of Live from PlayStation because the player can just broadcast their image and do whatever they want, and a lot of the times it means teens are racists, sometimes both, sitting with a beer or some weed and responding to the few but dedicated viewer comments. One time we were waiting for a friend to drive over and I was showing my friend this wondrous app. We tuned into a stream by DJ fl 3 xxo and found a masked man chain-smoking and giving a complete professional electro-house DJ set to an empty (laughs) living room complete with speaker towers, a full DJ console, a smoke machine, and synchronized lights. He's lost in the mix, dancing and motioning to the camera. He was streaming through YouTube, so I instantly subscribed. And he said he was kind enough to give us the channel link. Uh, from what I've been able to find about the mass DJ, he's 28 and from Melbourne, Australia. He self-describes as Dirty Dutch and Melbourne Bounce Banger. <laughs> and his channel, over 20, uh, his channel over 20 DJ streams that run from two to three and a half hours. As far as other streams on the app, once we saw some skate shop employees got really paranoid that we would dox them for smoking weed on camera... Some very bad parties, and a kid streaming his subscriber count as he got closer to 50. So my friends and I subscribed to push the kid over the edge. Oh,
0: that's very good. Oh, this is, <laughs> is the story over?
2: I uh, apparently it did.
0: I think, so this, this reminds me of um, <laughs> when uh, Periscope uh, launched, uh, and I'd gotten uh, the new uh, Apple TV, which has apps on it, and so. My friends and I, kind of like at the end of the night, like people are like you know finishing their drink before they're going home, and we would load up the Periscope app on the Apple TV so we could all watch it on the big screen. And I think I I mentioned this in a previous podcast how when we were talking about Chill Out Man, was like I'm a huge fan of like finding people exactly like this DJ, folks that are just streaming to like nobody or like the three people they've got, or like they're really excited, like they're just hey man, you just you work with what you got, and so. We, I can't remember how this happened. It started with looking up people that had low viewer counts. And then we started noticing this pattern of people streaming out of their garage. Like, it was just a thing <laughs> we just kind of noticed. It was, like, a bunch of people with, like, two or three viewers or, like, no viewers streaming out of their garage. And so then we made it a point to try and find people specifically that were streaming out of their garage. Periscope doesn't, really, like, search by – there's no way to search for people in garages. You know, like, there's no tick <laughs> in the background for that. And then we would go in there. And we would ask them questions about their garage, sincerely, like like sincere <laughs> questions about the garage, like like hey, did you recently have that wall painted? Um, we would do. It was called the hashtag Garage Life, and uh, we it'd be like three of us all in the chat, and like the three of us in there would like instantly double like you know the viewer count, and often the people in their garage happened to be vaping or smoking other substances, and they would get very paranoid that we were sincerely asking. Questions about their garage, <laughs> like like did you recently put in an expansion? Like I've been thinking about expanding my garage. Like like how did you negotiate the contract and like figure out like the design of the garage? Like just like very specific uh, questions. And I don't know why it was so funny, but I think because it was so like banal and strange, yeah. and because it was such a small viewer count, it often made the people incredibly paranoid in a way that uh, usually got us blocked and banned like, oh. <laughs> very very quickly. Um, but I, I we did that for a little while before we the joke kind of ran itself into the ground but it was a uh I, it was a very enjoyable moment <laughs> it was like trolling without trolling it was mostly yeah. just like by by being like perfectly normal but incredibly specific people just they were they were not having it so yeah. hashtag, hashtag garage life
2: garage life i I really think uh some of the weirder you know obviously when I when I'm saying weirder I mean in this way, weird, not like harmful, weird, but like you know, just very specific or very normal or very like impassioned things that happen on streams are one of my favorite things about living in this very bizarre era. Uh, just the things that the things that sort of cross that public and private space line, but in in a not harmful way. like I of course, obviously in this world we also have to say that, the like not harmful way, like these completely sort of like okay interactions that we can have that are just weird. There, there's something about that that is, like, really funny and pleasant. Like, the whole time you were telling that story, I was, like, delighted. I was like, I wonder what was in his garage. <laughs> like, right. tell me the story of the, you know, ancient power wheels that only has one wheel or something that's hanging out in your garage. Like, I, I just sort of love whatever it is about that that makes it so funny and delightful.
1: <laughs> okay, this is real random. Yeah. Mm, good. <laughs> was like there it. a garage hangout culture where you grew up?
0: Oh yeah, abs- I mean, like uh, a lot of my—I uh, think we only had one friend that had a like a basement, and like another friend that had a basement, like it was like off limits to us, like it, for whatever reason. So like the garage became like a place where like a lot of people could hang out and not like interfere oh, like, with like your like parents, kids, like yeah, kids. yeah, okay, yeah.
1: So. What I'm talking about is something a little like I've only like been in one place where this was a thing. So, around what was it? Hurricane Ike. Uh, my parents were flooded out of their house, uh, mm. which uh, was a, a pretty significant personal catastrophe. But um, long story short, my parents ended up having to basically live away from their neighborhood for about a year while uh, no,
2: it sucks. Yeah. While
1: the flood is being dealt with. Which, by the way, uh, an important thing is because this has been a terrible year with hurricanes and everything. Like. Stuff drops from the headlines way before the personal, like, trauma and crisis, like, ends. Yeah. Uh, Like, if your house is destroyed by a flood, like, your life becomes about waiting for, like, waiting for basic shit, like, uh, the contractor to show up who can pump out your fucking basement. Like, there aren't that many people who have those tools, uh, so it takes a while for them to show up. Anyway, uh, so my family's, like, living away from our neighborhood for a while. And they end up in this neighborhood in, like, still northwest Indiana, but just a different part of it. And there is this weird, like, everyone in this neighborhood, on any kind of nice day, like, around dinner time or thereafter, would go and, like, open up their garage door (laughs) and hang out in their garages. But, like, not in their garages, but, like, right, like on the lip of the, like, you know, under the eaves, basically, and, like, face out into the neighborhood. And it was the weirdest damn thing. Like, nobody parked their cars in the garage. Everyone had attached garages. (laughs) But, like, you'd, like, seven at night, you'd, like, look out, and all your neighbors would be in these weirdly, like, nicely furnished garages, just sitting there staring into each other's garages and, like, hanging out on, like, couches and, like, lazy boys and sectionals. And, like, that was just what people did. And it's not like they interacted. It's not like people were like, hey, Frank, how's it going? No. They would just sit in their garage and, like, spend time there. And it was there was clearly, like, my parents, like, noticed there was clearly, like, competition about, like, pimping out your garage. Wow. Like, people put effort into like really making like it's because it, because it's literally like you know you sort of open the curtain on your garage and it's like hey check this out and it's like leather sectional right or like a big screen like TV in the garage behind the couch that nobody like nobody is facing it's just there to be seen it was the weirdest fucking thing I've ever like and so I was like is this a thing is this like. <laughs> Is, is there, like, a suburban culture in America that I'm just not familiar with and, like, briefly got a glimpse of it? Or did my parents just end up in, like, the freaking twilight zone?
0: It's, I'm going to be honest. The, the kinds of people whose garages I was looking at did not seem like the kinds of – they were not necessarily the people that were really spending a lot of time pimping out their garage with
2: – Oh, yeah. You,
1: would, you wouldn't let kids, like, play music and smoke weed in these garages.
0: Hell. No. No, no, no.
2: Wow that's very uh, good
0: wow a lot of garage stories that's hmm.
2: amazing yeah, my, garage only, life. my only uh contribution to this at all is that summers we would whenever there were like parties I, I went to i have like a massive family we have like 10 billion relatives like half of rhode island i'm related to and like <laughs> we would have like lots of parties that involved a garage but like it was it was a hanging out thing it was like a social thing like you know the adults would have beer and the kids would have ice cream or whatever and we would all be, like, running around playing basketball and, the adults were sitting there in the garage. That was, like, that was it. But, man, that Twilight Zone garage life, that sounds... That's something else, man. I, like, it's kind of amazing. Do you think it has anything to do with, like, I don't know, if the garage is visible, that's, like, the part of the house that you you want to look nice because your neighbor Frank is... Is, like, judging your sofa or something? Or is it, like...
0: I mean, I do... I, one thing uh, in, in my neighborhood, I'll walk around and uh, there are, like, certain neighbors that just keep their garage open as, like, a signal that, like, hey, if you want to come, like, say hi. Like, they'll have, like, TVs in their well, garage nice. and stuff like that. So it's not... it's yeah. not, uh, They're not, like, particularly fancied up, but it is sort of, like, a like a signal of, like, hey, if, like, the Cubs game is on, you want to come have a beer? Like, the the, the garage is open.
2: That's nice. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> the
1: suburbs are full of weird... Like, look, it's not a great movie in a lot of ways, but the Tom Hanks <laughs> comedy classic, Burbs.
0: The Hell Burbs. yeah! Hell
1: yeah, Burbs! Yeah. A decent representation of the sheer weirdness of living in suburbs. Um, there <laughs> were, like... We would get... Okay. Um. I don't even know what you call this. You have a... You have a driveway and your driveway like is is rare that driveways are just a single piece of like asphalt. Like a lot of times the driveway is like concrete slabs, right? Yeah. And in the cracks of those slabs or in the seams between those slabs, like occasionally like weeds grow up, right? Mm-hmm. Shit happens. <laughs> we had a couple neighbors who like when our driveway was kept somewhat disorderly, they felt When there were a few too many green shoots cropping up between those slabs, they would come over and just like, like sort of chat up my dad and then work the conversation around to what they were really there about, Mm. which is like, so, uh, you know, just couldn't help but notice that, uh, need a little edging work to be done here, don't you? Your wow. edge are broken. I can lend you mine.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> and, yeah, no. It like this is this shit happens and it's wow. all real and people like comment on it and, and judge each other on it. The the greatest like justice we ever got, by the way, was the neighbor who always like criticized the state of our lawn because my dad didn't give a shit. So like leaves would pile up on it and like he just didn't care that much. Um and we had a neighbor who like religiously like mowed that thing like with a ruler basically yeah. <laughs> just like it looked like a fairway like everything kept like perfectly level the lines were glorious always mowed it the same way they were so like maniacal about having the best lawn that they just went like buck wild with fertilizer at some point <laughs> and you, you ever heard of like fertilizer burn yes yeah because that stuff can be up. really
2: toxic yeah yeah
1: Yeah, they basically blighted their lawn for, like, six years. Like, their beautiful, glorious lawn. Uh, They put, like, this giant, like, enormous football-shaped fertilizer burn on it uh, that, like, nothing would grow on for, like, six years. Uh, It took a long time for it to go away. I think they might have had to resod it uh, eventually. But it was justice because, like, they constantly came over to be like, Letting a lot of leaves pile up, Bob. Aww. I can't help but not- You need to borrow my blower? Like, wow. shit like that. Uh, and so naturally, they, like, devastated their lawn. Uh, and it was, it was glorious. Like, you know, <laughs> ours was, like, beautiful, lush, wild. Uh, yes, untamed. <laughs> the <laughs> grass was going to seed. But uh, at the same time, we didn't have, like, this clear toxic
0: blight. Uh like the mark of cane on our lawn. We there was a there was a moment where uh this is a number of years ago, um, where uh the you know, like it's depending on your house and like how much of like the surrounding area that you own, like you may have like uh bushes that technically you both own because it, like the, the Oh yeah. the greenery straddles uh both and then um it's it gets it gets weird. But anyway, so that the uh, the the bushes in the back of my parents' old house uh, my parents owned and the people on the other the other side of it had asked hey like we were, we were hoping to maybe like lower them because they were doing some other house stuff uh, and my uh, my mom was like oh you know I'll talk to my husband about it and they ultimately decided that they liked it the way it was and that the neighbors would just kind of have to deal with it because it was they were it was on our property um, and one day my mom. Woke up and they had just gone and done it. They had just like fucking flattened these 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 bushes. Like had God. severely brought them down. Um, didn't ask permission. Just just went for it. Um, my mom was like super upset. Less because of how the bushes looked. She didn't actually care that much about it. it was more the audacity just to do it after they'd had a, a conversation about it. And she was just like just like just so aggravated like aggravated for for weeks. And then one time I was over there. Uh, and she was like, hey, can you help me go take care of this dead animal in the back? There was, like, a rabbit that had died. Aww. And um, so I went to go, uh, like, you know, grab it and, you know, put it into a, uh, like, a plastic bag and, and, and dispose of it. And I remember remarking to her, like, you know, I could, I could kind of throw it into their lawn in a weird place where this would just rot <coughs> for weeks before they would know wow and it was like, cuz my mom like so mild manner like like you know i'm like i'm, I'm just joking i was like cuz that'd be like a, that'd be like a dick thing to do and she's like fuck them throw it over there and i was like oh oh, okay. all right mom i'm in did the whole like whipped it up like you know like whoop 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 like threw it over like the corner of a uh, of an area where like the smell would clearly spread, but it would take a long time for them to like kind of r- figure out what was going on. And uh, so, I, yeah, I don't know. We never heard about it because how they ever pinned that back on us. But I know, I know. Wow. Thanks, mom.
2: Wow. Your mom's well, somehow awesome. Somehow this is
0: going to catch up with you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> One day. One day. Like because was, of this
1: podcast. Like it's going to work its way around like people who used to like know you and your family and like eventually <laughs> someone's going to listen to it and, like that little son of a bitch. My dog died cuz it ate that dead rabbit.
2: Oh, no. <laughs> hmm. oh my god.
0: Look. It's uh we make choices in life, okay? We make it's
2: choices. Like suburban warfare over here. Dude, this is really. That, I mean,
0: here, here's my guess. If we were to ask other people for weird suburban stories, we get a lot of stories like that. Shit yeah. goes down. There's a there's a there's a mentality in the suburbs. You're stuck. You don't get to choose your yeah. neighbors. You know, like you you hopefully pick a nice neighborhood and uh, with good people. But uh, neighborhoods are often they choose you. You don't choose them. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's
1: it's like. They're not quite roommates, but they're people you have to live in close proximity uh-huh. with, yep. who don't have to consider your feelings at all. Mm-mm. That's so the just weird part. You have to part. watch them living their stupid lives in ways <laughs> you disapprove of.
2: Yeah, that, like people are always like people from back home when when I when I go to Rhode Island, and it's it's not like a Rhode Island's a weird place. It's it's basically pretty suburban. There's there's some small cities. It, it's like. Small cities, right? Small cities and some somewhat rural areas. It's so tiny, though, that it all feels like a small town. I'll talk about doing EMS, like being on an ambulance here in Brooklyn and Queens, and they're like, oh my god, you go into strangers' houses in Brooklyn and Queens? And I'm like, please. Like, (laughs) the suburbs scare me so much more than anything I've seen here. Like, it's really, god, it's just so weird. It's really Hashtag garage life, I guess. Is, yeah, hash, is what it yeah is. <laughs> hashtag garage life.
0: I, I don't know if we can top that. I think we. I think got to end yeah. this podcast on this suburban note.
2: Yeah, I think that was that was beautiful and brilliant. And uh, if you have questions or really good suburban stories,
0: please, please, <laughs> not fuck the fuck the questions. Send the them suburbs, in suburban stories. We'll do a whole pod about the suburbs.
2: Give us those good burbs burbles i guess uh, Ugh, send those into gamingatvice.com with the subject question and if you want to throw burbs in there i guess that's fine too uh as always shout outs to bowen for letting us use his track miss you off the ep pale machine we are on twitter at waypoint we are on facebook waypoint vice we are on youtube at waypoint vice and things are actually going up there uh thanks to natalie who, who started again about a month ago which is pretty great Obviously, you can read all our stuff at waypoint.vice.com, and we encourage you to do so, because reading our articles really does help us out quite a bit. So, you can always find me, at Danielle Ri on Twitter. Where can people find you, Patrick?
0: In the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag Patrick. garage
2: life.
0: Yeah, hashtag
1: garage life. You turn on the floods, Patrick is there, like, with just dead <laughs> rodents, like, stand-dropping them like Santa, in people's <laughs> trash bins. Don't touch my hedges, motherfucker. <laughs>
2: Oh, God. Well, I'm I'm glad we can find you there. Where can we find you, Rob?
1: Wherever the hell I want to be, because the property (laughs) line is where I say it is.
2: Oh, shit. All right, well, I'll keep that in mind. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for being here. Thank you all for listening to Waypoint Radio. I'm going to say the thing I always say, which is be good and be good at it. And so I do. I do.